Hi, I'm Betty Long, and welcome to the Lighting Your Way podcast. During season two, we are delving in deeper to the amazing lives and stories of nurses and other healthcare professionals from around the country. We will also be talking with a few of my nurse advocate colleagues at Guardian Nurses, and on occasion, even some real live patients. You'll get a behind the scenes peek at the healthcare system, as well as get advice on how to get the best care when you or a loved one is a patient. As our last guest, Joanne Simone, explained in our last episode, Medicare's open enrollment period goes until December 7th. Open enrollment happens every year between October and December. This is the time that Medicare-eligible individuals can enroll in or change their plans. In keeping with our Medicare theme, today we talk with Mary Ellen Murphy, RN, BSN, one of my colleagues at Guardian Nurses. Mary Ellen, as you will find out, has been a nurse for more than 42 years in a variety of roles, both in the hospital and out of the hospital. Currently, she supports more than 2,500 individuals from the Sheet Metal Workers Union Local 19 in Philadelphia, the majority of whom are retired and have Medicare as their primary health insurance. We'll talk with Mary Ellen about Medicare as an insurance, as well as some of the unique situations that she encounters with her patients. Hello, Nurse Murphy. Welcome to the Lighting Your Way podcast. Always good to talk with you. Thank you, Betty. It's my (laughs) pleasure to be with you today, and especially discussing such an important topic as this. Oh, yes, it is that time of year. Um, (laughs) It's Medicare open enrollment, so it's always an exciting time for a lot of us who uh, deal with Medicare patients. Um, Yeah, sure. Mary Ellen, let's start with a little bit about you, because I know you've had a very long and successful career. You've worked uh, both in the hospital and out of the hospital. How about you give us a synopsis of that 42-year career? (laughs) Well, first of all, and this is what I always say, I did not personally know Florence Nightingale. (laughs) But like every other nurse coming out of school, I started in med surge Mm -hmm. uh, and it really gave me a good opportunity to work with people and patients and sick people as a brand new nurse, then evolving into critical care, cardiac care. Um, I spent um, uh, many, many years in oncology mm-hmm. and, uh, then, uh, home health nursing and hospice care. Uh-huh. So it really was a nice, uh, mix of experiences, but the most important thing, the, the people were the same. The patients were the same. They were sick patients and the goal was to get them better and get them where they need to be. Right. So it's been a very long and rewarding care and I rewarding time. And I don't think that I would ever envision have done anything else in my life. So, um, you know, it's been fun. It's really, wow. really, really been great. Is there anything that you didn't do? Like, did you, I, I guess I didn't hear uh, psych nursing. Did you ever uh, work in mental no. health? Yeah, no, no, I, you know, I, I've got enough 
psych nursing with with each other right at least <laughs> right, at least not officially <laughs> right post-pandemic you know we're working all towards that but no and and uh and not surgery either ah, um, okay i like it when the patients talk back to me <laughs> you know, that's just the way i am <laughs> right good good um and and obviously through all of that as you say uh the 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 folks that can talk, uh, you've always worked, as many of us have, with Medicare patients, right? So particularly, I suspect, in your role in home care uh, and hospice. So so now that you're working with the sheet metal uh, workers, the retired ones in Local 19, what, what about your current role is different? Well, um, a majority of my patients under my current role have Medicare, but there are some that still have the private insurance. Um, It becomes challenging sometimes because each private insurance has their rules and regulations. Uh, But the Medicare patients, um, it's easy to navigate them through the healthcare system or maze, as you say, because everybody takes Medicare. So um, there really really are no limits for these folks. Yeah, because I I think in in other roles that you've had with uh, union, with health and welfare fund workers, there's always been eligibility issues and, uh, you know, whether something's being paid for. So I think that kind of levels the playing field, if you will, when you're just working with one insurance. Sure. It changes the trajectory the trajectory of care. Um, In other words, um, the sky is the limit. You know, um, we really have no boundaries. I mean, as far as getting a um, a second opinion or, um, you know, getting the best of the best for people, uh, I'm not jumping through as many hoops because people accept the Medicare insurance, the traditional Medicare. Right. And that and that is, uh, you know, as we talked about last week with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, they I, I guess what's interesting to me is that they are kind of the one stop shop for setting. And this is getting into the weeds a little bit, but but setting the pricing for reimbursement. Uh-huh. Right. Oh, so when you talk about CMS and you talk about physicians and practices and uh, insurance, I'm sorry, not insurance, hospitals accepting Medicare, they're setting the rate, really. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. And my um, members that I deal with are all over the country, Betty. So the ones that have Medicare, it is, uh, it, it's accepted all over the United States. Right. Um, there's a lot of providers that accept that. When you can imagine, if you don't have that kind of insurance, it really narrows the field as far as who you can refer patients to. Right. I, I've often uh, laughed in, in years past when when folks have argued about national health insurance. Uh, I've, I've always thought to myself, well, we kind of have one. It's called yeah. Medicare. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. We do. And it's um, and because it's a government agency, there are very strict rules and regulations. But um, it is one of the tried and true insurances. Right. So so you you said your members are retired. Are are all of the members over 65? No, no. I I have members who have retired younger than 65. So naturally they don't have Medicare. They have private insurances. Okay. Um so what kind of situations in a you know like a I don't want to say a typical day, but what what types of situations are you dealing with? Is it is it insurance issues for these uh folks or is it 
clinical or combination? What what does your day look like? Well, a lot of it is clinical issues. I mean, um, you know, our Medicare folks are used to doing their own thing and getting their own doctors and doing things. And, you know, it's really an advantage for them to have our service and me assisting them with that. But they, they also have limitations because as they get older, And as we change things up with their medications and maybe a different treatment, sometimes they require more intervention and handholding and um, guidance Mm -hmm. so that they can stay as independent as possible. Right. What I mean, what's your what's how old is your oldest patient? How long? Uh, I have a 87 year old who. um, (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he fell and. He was riding his bike and uh, he broke his wow. hip, but he's, he's doing fabulously now. So he's oh, good. Wow. So, you know, how do you, how do you say to him, you can't ride that bike anymore? He's cause right. he's, he's going to ride it no matter what. So where was it? Where was he riding his bike? Oh, like on, on the trail. trail. Yeah, on the trail. trail. Okay. He does the exercises every day. (laughs) (laughs) Good for him. Yeah, so when he says something like that, I fell off my bike, you look at him and you say, the only thing you can say, you know, is, were you wearing a helmet? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, yeah, really. He broke his hip, but at least his head's intact. Uh, Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. So so I've heard you say before that, again, and you alluded to this in the conversation, that Medicare Mm -hmm. is easy, right, compared to maybe a commercial commercial insurance or uh, sure. uh, an HMO or managed care program. So yeah. uh, you're saying traditional Medicare um, mm-hmm. is easy because everybody accepts it. Right. So that's, right. that's one right. thing, but, but I know there's a distinction. There is the traditional Medicare. And yeah. then of course there's the managed Medicare. And I, I mm-hmm. I'd like you to speak a little bit to the traditional Medicare, which I believe is there's three parts to, but you want to speak right. to that a little bit? Sure. So um, there's Medicare Part A. Medicare Part A, when we have worked all our lives, um, a portion of our paycheck went in to pay for for Part A, Medicare Part A. And that covers your hospitalization. So that's already been paid for by your working all those years. And I hate to use the entitled word, but, you know, it's it's you are entitled and you are covered by Medicare A. Part B covers outpatient services and MD visits and outpatient therapy. Um, And it does come out of your social security check. However, it only pays 80% of the cost. So it's 80% of that doctor's visit. It's 80% of the outpatient therapy. So you need to secure a supplemental plan at a minimal cost to cover that 20% that isn't covered. All right. And that's part B. And uh, then there is part D. I'm going to skip over part C right now. So, but there's part D and D is for drugs. It's a drug plan. You have to pay for that. But I always advise people because there's other plans out there just for the drugs and the cost of prescription drugs is just astronomical. So right. if you are on if you are on some sort of specialty drug that doesn't fall into those categories that are covered under Part D, then I encourage people 
to look, and I help people look for different um, programs that are out there that would be cost effective for them and their meds would be covered. So that's D. So then we have uh, Medicare C. So Medicare C is the Advantage plan. And it's typically um, a plan that wraps up A, B, and D in one box. Okay. But the problem is, at times, um, they need to stay in their network. So Mm. it's, you have to get a referral, you have to make sure that your physician is in network, and there may be some limitations in that. And And traditionally, it's cheaper than the traditional A, B, and D. So, um, you know, that's good for some people. Some people like that. They need that. Um, and, you know, as remember I talked about traveling with Medicare. You can go all over the United States with, right. a, a, with an Advantage plan. You may not be able to. So it limits you. Uh-huh. Um, and I also wanted to say with Medicare, traditional Medicare, it's not covered when you go out of the country. So you would need to get some sort of supplemental plan to cover you when you travel, if you're if you're traveling and your primary insurance is Medicare. Right. And I think that's some of the questions that Joanne uh, Simone had for our listeners last week, just mm-hmm. in terms of her assessment of patients, right. I'm sorry, of clients that are come to her to talk about, do, are they planning on going to Florida for the winter? Do they have any trips coming out of the country? So those kind of assessment questions. But but I think, you know, it's a lot, it's really confusing for folks. I mean, we're, when you're turning 65, but then as you age, it seems like every year you should kind of evaluate the programs, I guess, particularly with Part D for drugs sure. Sure. As, as perhaps your treatment uh, changes. It is like when you're on Medicare, the chemo, chemotherapy, which is also very expensive, mm-hmm. that's covered, right? I'm going to yes. guess. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the, uh, how about the, uh, injectable drugs that for rheumatoid arthritis and for MS, are they covered as well? We would have to look at the specific drugs and see what's covered in the formularies. It's all about a formulary. So, you know, um, and if you anticipated that you would have surgery requiring further treatment that required chemotherapy or something like that. You know, nobody has a crystal ball, but if you're able to look downfield and see that you may need this and you can take a look at a, at a, um, um, a program that will cover those for you in addition to what you already have. So, um, you know, it's, it's something to to think of. You can't assume that everything's going to be covered when it comes to that kind of specialized treatment. Okay. And the formulary, uh, Mary Ellen, as you suggested, so the formulary is, is specific to each program, correct? Yes, Yes. 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 They have them identified in tiers. So if it's a tier one, tier two drug, it's covered at a certain percentage. But if it's some sort of specialty drug that it's maybe a tier three or it's it's even you know more specific than that, um, you know, that's something you have to look at to see how much it's going to cost. And, uh, you know, as you know, it's just astronomical, the price right. of pharmaceuticals. And that formulary, uh, as we said, could change every year, correct? Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. Because I, I always say the house always wins. So it's yeah. uh, if there's certain drugs that are going up, I'm, sometimes sure. they get taken off the formulary. So I was going to ask you, what do patients do when that if a drug is taken off formulary? Have you ever helped uh, a patient when yeah, that has sure. happened? Sure, with good good RX. 
um, going back and seeing if we could go back to the pharmaceutical company to see if they have any discounts or there's any special programs or things like that. But it's a Band-Aid, you know, okay. to get us over the hump. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, until, moving, yeah. until what, they can pick another plan? Until they can pick another plan, if it's going to uh, be something that's long-term. And therefore, thus, open enrollment every year. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. What yeah. I mean, you, you got to let the buyer beware. Right. I think that's right. one of the lessons that I've learned uh, yeah. from all of you who have taught me. Um, yeah. So most doctors uh, accept Medicare, most hospitals accept Medicare. Right. Um, and and I know that always a concern with many of the patients that we work with is, you know, are second opinions uh, allowed? And, and that, oh. of course, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, what's really funny is the first question people ask is when you ask about what kind of treatment plan or, or where do we go from here? People always, the first thing they say is what kind of insurance does the patient have? Because that drives it. That drives the way it goes. That Not that, you know, we would still come with the same outcome, but it, there may be layers of things depending upon the insurance. When okay. I tell them that the patient has Medicare, then no more insurance questions are on the table. We know <laughs> that everything is okay. It's know? like ka-ching. That's right. That's right. And it's, you know, it's, and the thing is, is the docs accept it and they accept what Medicare gives them as their payment. They're not going to go back and say to the patient, Medicare only gave me this much and now I'm going to charge you this. They, okay. They've signed up for the program and they accept the payment from Medicare. Great. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. And one of the things that I, I do want to, and I don't know whether we talked about this with Joanne, but oftentimes our patients will get the EOB, which means explanation of benefits, mm -hmm. uh, when they've had a procedure or been discharged from the hospital. Can you explain what an EOB is? Sure. And I always say when the bill comes in, don't pay it until you get the EOB. Okay. The EOB, the explanation of benefits, will spell it out what test or what procedure and how much was paid to the physician and how much you owe. You wait until you get that and you marry that with the invoice that comes in or the bill that comes in from the hospital or the doctor's office. So then you will know, um, you know, and that's what you were, that's the only amount that you were required to pay is what they tell you. Great. Yeah, I know when when my aunt Betty would get the um, or my dad, and mm -hmm. they would be they would want to immediately pay it, and I'd be like, no, 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 don't yeah. do it yet. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> I know. Because you know that, that generation was always so good about paying their bills. <laughs> I know, I know. They got to get it out and get the stamp on there. But you know, I always tell them two piles. So if you know something has happened, we've got the EOB pile and we had the invoice pile and we marry the two of them we match them so Great. we take a look at what the charges are and you know and, and and it's fine it works out fine right yeah usually they just have to catch up to each other exactly some some providers are faster at billing than others <laughs> exactly 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 and then oh. you know some people call me and they say i never got a bill and i'll say you wait <laughs> yeah, right. For, don't don't be sending anything ahead of time. Just wait for your EOB. <laughs> right. Don't worry. It's coming. 
yeah. Yeah. It's in, fun, in fact, sometimes I know that an invoice is, gosh, they come like sometimes months and you think, okay, I'm never going to get a bill. Maybe they forgot about me. And then it comes and it doesn't seem to be any statute of limitations on when, when hospitals and, and physicians can bill. It's kind of sad, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so more time, I think more times than not, um, and you've come from a home health background. So I wanted to bring this up more times than not. I think patients uh, are under the impression that they can't receive home health services unless they've been in the hospital and discharged as a support service. Uh, and that, as you've taught me, is not true. Can So can you speak to a little bit about when and how patients can get additional support? Well, I have a couple of examples. So, okay. you know, I've, I have a couple of patients um, with, uh, say they have Parkinson's. And, you know, Parkinson's is such a chronic condition and causes so many different things to go awry. And um, at times, the patient needs what, what I call a quote-unquote tune-up. Okay. Um, and they don't necessarily need to be in the hospital. We don't want to put people in the hospital that don't have to be there. Right. Um, so you, you call the, the doctor and ask the doctor to um, have a home health nurse come out, evaluate and physical therapy and physical therapy can really prevent a patient from falling, injuring themselves, promoting strength Um it, to keep them out of the hospital. That's that scenario. Um, and, yeah. and Mary Ellen, in that scenario, when you say call the doctor, or can it be either the primary doctor or the neurologist in the case of Parkinson's? It could be. Yes, it absolutely could be. Some of the neurologists defer to the primary doctors. Um, but, you know, it depends upon your relationship with your neurologist. You okay. know, but, uh, but any physician can order home health. It doesn't have to be capitated to anybody under this, you know, under Medicare benefit. So when you, when the primary makes, or when you call the primary and say, I'd like a what, how, how, how would folks a, say it? A home, home health referral okay. for strengthening for the patient with a significant change in condition for their Parkinson's. Okay. Um, now they find themselves unable to get up from the chair. They have to hold on to things. Do we need somebody to come in and look at the house for adaptive equipment, more adaptive equipment? Okay. Do they have, uh, uh, you know, do they have everything they need to keep them safe? Okay. And then when that order is written and mm -hmm. that way, then the patient or I'm sorry, family member could call a home health agency give them the, uh, explain to them what they want. I'm sure they're going to ask if they have Medicare, right? Yes. Well, that and would, you know, actually that order, instead of the, the, the patient or the family calling a home care agency, the physician should be doing that for them. Okay. So the physician would select, you would say, I would like XYZ home care agency. Yeah. And that physician would need to provide an order stating what he actually wants, what kind of services he wants in there, and for what reason. Mm -hmm. okay. So it's not only just get me a, a physical therapist for Mr. Jones, 
It's Mr. Jones has Parkinson's. It's an exacerbation of his Parkinson's. And because of his uh, deteriorating condition or new weakness, please provide physical therapy for strengthening home exercise program, et cetera. Is, do you have to have, when you want to have, uh, as you say, tune-up, or if you want to have home health services and you haven't been discharged, do you have to have a diagnosis like a Parkinson's or some other uh, musculoskeletal issue or neurological what? issue? There has to be a skilled need. Right. So there's a skilled need uh, and a diagnosis kind of corroborating that for the Correct. for the home health agency. Right. They just can't come out because mom and dad haven't been out in a while. Sure. Yeah. Right. No, okay. no. Now, you know, I had this other patient who had called, um, her husband called and said, all of a sudden over the weekend, she developed these blisters on her feet okay. and she had like some history of fibromyalgia and different things, but we don't know why she got the blisters on her feet, but she also has numbness and tingling in her feet because of her, her illness, um, but was able to walk quite fine before this had happened and was having a lot of pain now in both those feet. Mm -hmm. Rather than sending her to the hospital, we were able to call the doctor. Have It's wonderful to have telehealth these days because the doctor was able to see the wounds. We measured the wounds. The doctor evaluated her. Oh, and wow. then the doctor wrote the order for the home health wound nurse to go out to the house the next day and proceeded to see the patient daily um, for the next few weeks until those wounds were healed. So she wow. never even had the, the need to go to the hospital. Wow. So, that, yeah. That's a great story. And, and all telehealth and Medicare paid for it. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> that's great. That's Absolutely. how creative. That's very great. Yeah. Keep her out of the hospital and, and safe at home. Sure. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so, um, Mary Ellen, like Joanne, who, who also had a 40 plus career, uh, 40 plus year career in nursing uh, and have Medicare expertise. I suspect that you have helped a lot of your family and friends understand Medicare. So I'm going to ask you what one suggestion would you make um, besides calling Joanne to someone asking for help with Medicare? Uh, you know, the, the Medicare website, is jam-packed with fabulous information. If the patient is savvy enough to go on it, it's www.medicare.gov. Okay. And they guide you through the different scenarios. They'll even tell you what, what blood work is covered and what isn't covered and what you should be billed for and what you shouldn't be billed for. And then if you have a problem navigating through that and you have questions about Medicare, it's always acceptable to speak to someone at 1-800-MEDICARE, which is 1-800-633-4227. So you're encouraging folks to call in case they can't, because I've been on the Medicare.gov website and there is, you're right, it is jam-packed with right. info. And, you know, as, as you're getting up there in age, yeah. uh, maybe it's not as savvy as it, as easy to ma manage and maneuver as it might be for somebody younger. So, no. um, and the 1-800 number, uh, is answered by human beings. 
Yes, it's answered by human beings. It's also in English, Spanish, and they also have a line for deaf. So, um, which is like great. So that's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then if all else fails, we can call Joanne Simone. Absolutely. <laughs> as, we're, as we're both planning on doing when we near uh, yeah. the Medicare age. Yeah, we'll look at the group rate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, is there anything uh, that you would like to uh, to tell us about uh, Medicare that we haven't covered? No, you know, I just want to say people don't like change. And when they have been covered under a certain insurance for so long and they find out at this age, uh-oh, now I'm going to have to sign up for Medicare, it's a big deal for them. Okay. It doesn't need to be a big deal. The one thing I will say, though, and because this has come across my desk, I don't know how many times recently, is that Medicare, when you sign up for Medicare and you should do it in advance before you turn 65, I always say like around 64, start looking around and, you know, and putting all your ducks in order. But um, when you get your Medicare card, it's just a, a very thin, light piece of paper. It's not a credit card. It's not, you know, it's not something that seems very substantial. Okay. So I always advise them to laminate it right away because those numbers need to be viewed at every doctor's visit. Everybody will ask you, let me see your Medicare card. And they take it. If they put it in the wrong way, You'll get something in the mail that says, no, your visit isn't covered or your hospitalization isn't covered. Make sure you protect, just like your vaccination card, (laughs) protect your Medicare card as well. Laminate that Medicare card. And if you lose it, you can always call Medicare and get another one. That's great. That's good advice. I, I know that my dad and my my aunts, and all the folks that have Medicare in my life have their card laminated because they exactly. do. It gets a lot of use. It does get a lot of use. <laughs> so people don't expect that. They get this little thing in the mail. I've had people say, I never got my Medicare card. And they go back and they look through the envelopes and they say, oh, it, here it is. It's like attached to something shoved down the middle. It right. doesn't look like, <laughs> you know, you're expecting the golden goose or something, you know, <laughs> Medicare card. Right, but it right. isn't it's just a little piece of paper, you know, right. so that's, laminated. That's good. No, that's great. I guess it's a lot easier to print those than it is to, to give the uh, cr- yeah. plastic credit card. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. End up uh, in a well, landfill or something. Mary Ellen, I am sure your uh, patients at Sheet Metal Local 19 appreciate the expertise that you bring. Thank you for uh, sharing uh, it with us today. It's my pleasure. It's always good to talk to you. So uh, thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Betty. It's been a real treat for me. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. If you have any questions that you would like us to address in a future episode, please email us at podcast at guardiannurses.com. That email again is podcast at guardiannurses.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us this week. You can find the Lighting Your Way podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, YouTube, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend and leave us a review. You can learn all about Guardian Nurses Healthcare Advocates on our website, guardiannurses.com. So until next time, find some joy in your life, pet all the good doggies and kitties, and remember to tell your people that you love them. Take care.